WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. There's been a spike in after-school shootings in Chicago. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Shootings right after classes let out are rare. But last year, nine children under 17 were killed during the hours that students are typically gathering up their books and heading home. One of those kids was Michael Brown, a 15-year-old student at the Chicago Military Academy in Bronzeville. Here's his friend A.J. Davis, who was with Brown just before the shooting last February. My friend, J-Rock, he texted the group. He was like, y'all got to check on Lil Mike. He's not texting nobody because that's what we call him, Lil Mike. And then I got home, and then my friend had called me. He crying, he crying, he crying. I'm like, what happened, what happened? He, yeah, they said that it was Lil Mike that got shot. I don't know. It almost felt like it was, like, out of color. It was, like, just stuck on sadness. You know, we can't be kids no more. Now the heat is turning up on CPS and city officials to take action. WBEZ's Sarah Karp and Nader Issa from the Chicago Sun-Times reported this story. Sarah, let's start with what we just heard from A.J. Davis, who's just 16 years old. You can hear the anguish and uncertainty when he says there at the end, we can't be kids no more. How common is it for students to be shot on their way home from school? Yeah, and it's it's really not that common. I mean, that, that's one of the things I really wanted to make sure that people understood. And that's that, you know, there are these instances last year, you know, we documented like nine times that a a child 17 or younger was shot like in those afternoon hours on a weekday during the school year. However, you know, when, when you look at it and, and of course any child being killed, I mean, is one, one too many, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, there's no matter what it's, it's a terrible thing, but, um, you know, the fact that it is rare, when, I, when we started, like, seeing these instances come up, that's why it made us sort of, like, stop and say, like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Nader, WBEZ and the Sun-Times did an analysis of shooting records and, and media reporters uh, over the last decade. What did you find? So last year, um, there were, among kids who were 17 or younger, um, nine kids were killed on a weekday. We looked at the hours between 2 and 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's usually when kids are getting out. There's different dismissal times, but those are the, the general after-school hours. That's the highest it's been uh, in, in a, a long while, in a, a few years, the past decade. And so there was an uptick. Um, Do we know what's behind that spike? So that's what we talked to uh, Jadine Chow. She's the, the uh, safety and security officer at Chicago Public Schools. She sort of attributed it to the wider gun violence in Chicago, the wider gun violence in the country. If there are shootings elsewhere, it's going to happen near a school. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously we know, too. I mean, we heard this from another person we interviewed, Charles Anderson. He's the principal at Michelle Clark High School on the west side. 
he said it's disappointing because schools have always been the sort of sanctuary. You you know, no shootings near schools, churches too. He mentioned churches, mm-hmm. and now it's sort of creeping closer and closer to the school buildings. So that's that's uh, that's the thought. And we'll hear more from Charles and from Jadine a, a little bit later when we we talk solutions, Nader. But let's go back to that story that we were just uh, that we opened with, right? The story of Michael Brown, who's the 15 year old who was killed after school in Bronzeville. His friends like A.J. Davis, who we heard, they called him Lil Mike. Tell us about Michael. Well, you, you know, it's interesting because um, we, we did this. Um, the Sun-Times actually did a whole story when this was uh, when he was killed last last year. And, you know, it turned out that, that the, the person who was charged in his murder was a, a young man, too, who was, you know, actually grew up with him um, in, in a local um, housing development and, you know, I guess they had sort of um, became, quote unquote, ops, you know, like the, they they and from like different gangs. And, and so they had some some beef with each other. And and he got, you know, he got shot right, in, you know, a few blocks from the school, you yeah. know, right after he left his buddies. And, you know, from what from what AJ said, you know, he was he, he was just a kid that was just trying to grow up in the city. And, you know, he was. Cool dude, <laughs> you know, it's like, you well, know. let's hear from AJ again. He was still a kid, you know what I'm saying? He was still a kid. He still had life. He still had talents. He still had dreams. And people just try to ignore that when they see a black kid in Chicago get killed because it's just normal. You know, it's normalized. But then again, they not a black kid living in Chicago. You feel me? It's normalized, but it shouldn't. Like, it shouldn't be no reason I got to constantly watch my back. Even even if I'm taking the garbage that I watch my back, I'm watching my surroundings. He said, I ain't did nothing to hurt nobody. But then again, it's a bunch of kids that done lost their life that ain't did nothing to hurt nobody. Man, it's so hard to hear this kid talk about it being normalized. The normalization of, of black children being killed in Chicago and, and constantly watching his back. I mean... It's like they've lost their innocence. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, literally, as I was as I was listening to him talk, I'm like, like you're gonna make me cry, dude. <laughs> you know, like I'm sitting here, but I mean, it's it's just it just makes you think, you know, that how how can we be here? You know, how can how can we be here? And you know that that we need to be reminded that the kids are really feeling this. You know, they're really feeling this, and that. You know, I know that it seems like there's no solution sometimes, but we can't just stop and be like, okay, there's no solution. Well, uh, you know, generally students, parents, and the community trust schools to be a safe space, right? And, And that's something that AJ seemed to be struggling with. Let's hear one more time what he had to say on that. Like still to this day, it's shaking me like, man, like, are you, are you serious? Like he can't come home from school. He couldn't get home like from school. And this is supposed to be a safe place for us. This is supposed to be a safe haven where we come to school, we see our friends, you know what I'm saying? We see the staff that we like, you know, we kick it with them. But you telling me we can't even do that in peace? Nader, are other students or teachers, are they sharing his concerns that schools, they, they just aren't a safe space anymore? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's a tough that's a tough question because schools are, for a lot of kids, the one place they go to see friends, they see trusted adults, they learn, have all these activities. And I think that's why it's so shocking and and what Sarah mentioned, why it sort of piqued our interest to look into this, because it has been so rare and this is a safe haven for a lot of people. And yeah, I mean, anytime, anytime you have a classmate who's killed, a friend who's killed, it affects teachers and staff too. You have a student who's killed. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's a tough situation and I think that's because schools are supposed to be that safe haven. I think that's why, other than uh, the obvious of of a child being uh, being killed, that's why this is so yeah. tough on people. And it's a it's a tough situation, Nader, and it's one that doesn't just end with the incident, right? The shooting doesn't happen, and then we carry on. And that's what you've heard from a lot of students, a lot of parents, community members. Is it's not just about helping kids and families the day of or the day after or the week after. Some of this stuff lingers for months and years. And how do you ever get over a, a child being killed, right? And and you need constant support. You need constant help. People grow up, they're adults, and they're still thinking about their friend who was killed. You know, um, when Kim Fox, the state's attorney, talked about um, – the charge against the, the young man that was charged on Friday um, for the the killing at Juarez. If you guys will remember, um, on December 16th, yes. there was a shooting at Juarez where two kids were killed. And she um, and there was a young man who was 16 years old who was charged this week, um, this weekend in, in that in that killing. And um, she Kim Fox was saying, you know, I remember when I was a teen when she was a teenager, a young man that was killed in her school. And um, how painful that was and, and how that and she was saying how that lingers. And um, Kim Fox and I actually went to the same school at the, about the same time. Okay. And I know exactly who she was talking about. And I know exactly, you know, it's like I think yeah, about I mean, you never forget. Those. You never forget. It. I mean, you never forget just like the last time you saw the kid and the young man. I mean, his name was Marlon, like in the hallway. And then, you know, then you his, his, his locker, his, you know, everything is just. It's like changed. And um, so I, I think that that's that's real, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up the um, Benito Juarez shooting that happened back in December, because um, this story of Michael, it's reminding me of this one. Uh, and in that shooting, we saw four students shot, two of them killed. This was also at afternoon dismissal. Any other parallels that you notice between those incidents? Um, well, it sounds like you know, obviously the details of everything has to come out, but it, at least from what's come out so far, it sounds like there was some, um, you know, gangs were sort of inv- somehow involved in, in in these shootings. You know, like with the Michael Brown shooting, it was like they were they were in different fractions of gangs, factions of gangs. And then um, also there was, you know, something going on, I you know, from the description of what happened at Juarez. So, um, you know, and I also just think, like, in general, how how are these young guys getting these guns? Like, what is going on here that, that it's so easy for them to get? And then, you know, the types of guns that they're getting, I mean, I'm no gun expert, but from what I hear, you know, th- these are, you know, pretty powerful guns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at the war shooting, you know, I mean, listen, a gun is a gun, but, <laughs> but you know, I— I think there's some questions there, like what is going on here? How are these so accessible to young people? This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about a spike in after-school shootings in Chicago. A WBEZ in Chicago Sun-Times analysis found that in the last decade, an average of three kids that were 17 and younger were murdered each year during after-school hours. We're talking right now with WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp and Chicago Sun-Times reporter Nader Issa. So, Nader, what has the Chicago Teachers Union had to say? Stacey Davis-Gates, uh, we all know her. She's the president of the CTU. She was at last month's Board of Education meeting, and she had a sort of laundry list of issues to address, and this was one of them. It's top of mind for a lot of educators. I mentioned 
teachers, support staff, they all feel this too, not just the kids. Mm -hmm. And the CTU wants to negotiate over the next steps. After something like this happens, what are the protocols in place? What are the steps in place to address the aftermath, the trauma? And also, how do you prevent it? And I I think that's... um, that's something that we've heard from students and families too. We touched on earlier is yeah. they want that longer term support, not just you're here for a week. We have extra social workers for a week, and then you're gone. So how how is CPS responding to this spike in after school shootings, and and what possible solutions are they talking about? You know, between CPS and and city officials. So that's where I mentioned Jadine Chow. She's the head of safety and security for CPS, and. They've certainly noticed, of course, that there's been a spike. I mean, any time a kid is killed, any time a kid is killed right outside of a school, there's um, there's a lot of attention on it because it, it shouldn't be happening. And one of the things they've talked about, it, it might be controversial, is these roving police units outside of schools. Um, we, we know the past few years there's been a lot of protests about school resource officers, those uniformed Chicago police officers who are inside of school buildings. Yeah. This would be a little bit different. It's outside in the neighborhoods, um, on the streets mm. to to sort of watch over anything happening. It's going to be controversial. Jadine men- Child mentioned that there would need to be training. and um, and Well, let's hear from Jadine yeah. on this. I think we have a clip. They see the police presence outside in a different way from police like in the school eight hours a day, five days a week. But if it's out on the street, they understand that there might be safety risks outside. And so it doesn't feel as imposing. What do you make of these sentiments, Sarah? Like, would this police presence truly be perceived differently? You know, I kind of think so. Um, I, You know, I actually talked to AJ and a couple other students at, at um, Chicago Military Academy. I, I asked them, what, what would they think about that? And they said, yes, they would like to see more police officers, like, circling the school. But one of the things that they said is, like, hey, they should get out of their cars, too, and look around and not just be, like, if they're just in their cars mm-hmm. and they don't. And, and also, like, we want them to sort of engage with us so that we kind of know who they are and they know who we are and they're not looking at us like we're no good. They're just sort of, you know, making sure that the environment is saying safe. You know, um, AJ said something about like, well, if he's if the police officer's in his car, then he's safe. But if I'm out here, I might not be so safe. So, you know, let's let's um so I think that's that a good if, point. If the relationship was right, I think they, they would be good. And Nader, earlier you, you mentioned this uh, beyond police as a possible solution. You covered the idea of, of building relationships right within schools and the community. And you talked with Charles Anderson, as you talked about the principal of uh, Michelle Clark Magnet High School over in Austin. Tell us more about what he had to say about what he thought a possible solution could look like. He thinks that building relationships between educators, between the adults in the building and the kids is one way to both prevent it and respond to these situations. Because if kids have at least one trusted adult in the building, if something's going on, if they're concerned about something, they have a safety fear, anything that they want to talk about, they can go to that adult and talk to them. Um, And then afterwards, just obviously needing support, needing trauma help, needing a social worker being able to connect them with those resources, those relationships are what gets us there. Interesting and frightening reporting, folks. Chicago Sun-Times reporter Nader Issa and WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. You can read their latest story at WBEZ.org or on suntimes.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
This episode of Reset was produced by Michael Liptrot and Meha Ahmed, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Dan Tucker. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.